0: Today on Ag News Daily. Oh, I was in fashion. So when I tell people, they're like, how on earth did you go from fashion to... And I I respond by saying it was divine.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts of the Ag News Daily podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson from Attractor, it sounds like, Mike.
2: Yes, indeed, Delaney. I'm up here helping Hamer Farms get some harvest completed. And, you know, these guys, they're up here in Grundy County, which in Iowa is is the best soil mm-hmm. in the state, if you talk to a soil scientist. So I was talking to Ted a little bit ago, and, you know, he's kind of depressed today, Delaney.
1: He's depressed. Kind of, Why?
2: He's depressed. I mean, his corn's only bringing about 500 bushels an acre.
1: Uh, okay, Mike.
2: <laughs> Just wanted to see if I could get you to follow along.
1: Yeah, I got it. Thanks.
2: Right. Testing You're testing my
1: active listening skills.
2: Uh, I was, and you passed. Thanks. So, yeah, no, it, the corn is the corn is going really well. In my uh, trip up here, I noticed a lot of the fields were done. We have mm-hmm. seen the uh, the Iowa farmer certainly kick it into gear over the past couple of days and uh, get this corn out of the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. Now we're just uh, plugging away at beans.
2: Yeah, yeah, both beans and corn, actually, are. we're making really good progress on. In fact, did you see Elaine Cubs article for uh, DTN? I did not. Okay, so she, you know, Elaine Cubb is one of our frequent market analysts, and Elaine is a numbers person. She, she just gets numbers intuitively. Mm-hmm. And so she took the harvest progress report from Monday, and then she broke it down, and she broke it down into bushels harvested per day. Oh, wow. And Yeah, exactly. It's, it's fascinating. So do you want to guess... From the seven days leading up to October 21st, this last Sunday, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: how many bushels of corn were harvested per day if we average it out over those seven days?
1: Per day, let's say a million bushels. I have no idea.
2: 211 million bushels. Oh, my gosh. Yes, per day, because we harvested just about 10% of the corn crop um, in that seven days, and and that's what her calculations worked out to.
1: 211? million bushels a day
2: per day exactly that's that's getting it done america (laughs) hats off for the american farmer
1: that is getting it done you're gonna get 211 million done there today mike
2: you know, we probably will, you know, yeah. and then we'll probably take a break for dinner and, and come back afterwards probably. and get another 211. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you're up here in northern Iowa, Delaney, you and I can't even comprehend this. We're southern Iowa people. This is just different ground from, yeah. for you listeners from outside of the state. This is a whole different place. You know, the tall corn grows here in Grundy, Tama and Blackhawk County. And it's it's fun to be a part of it.
1: I mean, that's some of the richest soil, too. Right.
2: Absolutely, like absolutely. The, I mean, this is where God was smiling when the he. The glacier
1: uh, deposits are there up there. Yes,
2: yes, mm-hmm. indeed. The glacial lobe, the Des Moines yes. lobe, I believe, was the one that came down uh, this far.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
2: But Delaney, if I go much farther, I am going to be lying because my geography knowledge only goes so deep. So, <laughs> what news do you have?
1: Well, let's, yeah, let's transition here into uh, agricultural news and information. moving away from history there before we get down a rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a little bit of news about the labeling, the two-day conference between the USDA and FDA, about the labeling and regulation of cell-cultured meat or meatless meat, as we like to refer to it as. It really sounds like during this two-day event so far, Both Secretary Perdue and FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb have vowed to work together. They've vowed to work fast. And it really sounds like they're going to divvy up regulatory responsibility between the two agencies. And of course, some of the cell-based meat startups like Memphis Meats, which we've talked about on the podcast, say they would like to see it um, as as a two-pronged approach, basically, with the FDA taking the lead on a the pre-market safety of products and the USDA overseeing production and processing of products and it kind of sounds like I don't know if that's exactly how we're going to see it divvied up but it does sound like FDA and USDA are presenting United Front. It really sounds like they're going to kind of break up some of that responsibility Um and so we'll continue to watch that this week. It sounds like both of those two gentlemen have gotten to speak. They're having a lot of public commenting periods and a lot of lobbying groups like the NCBA has their lobbyists there. So we'll Yeah, find out. and I
2: know some uh, reps from the U.S. Cattlemen, who we've mm-hmm. had on the podcast before, were up there as well. So it is definitely a big deal. And, uh, you know, it'll be good to have some certainty on that yeah, uh, fake news. It sounds
1: issue. like, at least I think it was Secretary Purdue made a comment saying, like, they'd like to get something in place by... The end of next summer by the end of next year and of next summer
2: well you know if those products are going to come to market they're going to need uh going to need some regulatory certainty and then mm-hmm. we can let the consumers decide whether they like wholesome del- oh. <laughs> delicious naturally raised product of the animal itself products that have been raised with care and love by the american and uh, yeah, but, you know we'll give the canadians some credit here a uh, livestock producer, or if they want something that has been raised in a nutrient bath, coated in antibiotics,
1: okay. in a
2: lab somewhere. That's, that's your cold, opinion. That are, that's not an opinion the consumer's going to get to decide, Delaney.
1: Okay, but I'm saying all that other stuff about how you're spinning it is your opinion.
2: I'm not. Those are all facts.
1: Okay, I don't know about They're that. They're all facts.
2: But, okay, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is a finished meat product, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about, whether it's from an animal or whether it's from a lab. And what we're seeing is that finished meat products can cause trouble. Delaney, did you read this about the rogue sausage in Japan?
1: No, I feel like this is going to be set up to be something interesting or gross.
2: No, it's interesting. So, okay. there was, you know, we've cracked a couple jokes about the uh, crackdown on airports of people smuggling in meat and so forth uh, from China and bringing that into the U.S. Well, that happened in Japan. 3.3 pounds of sausage were smuggled, basically just brought into Japan in the luggage of a Chinese tourist. And that sausage was infected uh, with African swine fever. Great. So the uh, the egg ministry in Japan is certainly freaking out a little bit. They're invite- and bleh, asking everybody who's involved in the egg industry not to travel overseas, because here's something I didn't know, Delaney. We know that African swine fever doesn't hurt humans. We're immune to it. But do you know how long African swine fever can live in a dry cured ham?
1: Mm, No clue. Wait, Up
2: to a year. In a dry cured ham? Yeah. Oh. Exactly. It can live up to a year. That's weird. Right. So if any of that pork makes its way into pig's feed, boom, that pig's got African swine fever.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Bad deal. So, folks, be careful! Don't be smuggling back any sausages from China.
1: <laughs> that just sounds, yeah, interesting.
2: Yeah, the uh, the headline from uh, Bloomberg was "Rogue Chinese Sausage Raises Swine Fever Fears at Japanese Farms." And I was thinking, you know, you don't get to write a headline with "Rogue Chinese Sausage" very often.
1: No, probably not.
2: Once in a lifetime.
1: <laughs> Once in a lifetime, it made that reporter's career.
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well. Um, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but the National FFA Convention is going on this week in Louisville, Kentucky.
2: I have heard. I always thought it was in Indian- Indianapolis. Was. I was surprised. It was
1: for a long time. They uh, changed it maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I want to say. Hmm. I always went okay. to Indy, except for the year I got my American degree. I think that was maybe the first year it changed locations. But President Trump is going to be at the national FFA convention on Saturday. He's going to be speaking to the FFA kids there. And this is going to be the first time that a sitting president has spoken at this convention since Jimmy Carter spoke in 1978. I thought that was kind of interesting.
2: Wow. And, you know, it is interesting because I know Jimmy Carter was an FFA member. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if Ronald Reagan, I assume, was yeah. being an Illinois Illinois boy, but I don't think I any think of Herbert the presidents
1: Hoover probably
2: was, and probably although he might have been out of school by the time FFA was Maybe. founded,
1: yeah, because
2: he was already like big in business in the twenties. Okay, but uh, I don't think we've had a president since. Uh, I don't know if if Bill Clinton was in FFA, and I know President Trump wasn't, so I'm just kind of surprised. It's a it's a good get, I suppose, for the National FFA.
1: Yeah, and I think it was probably done a little bit as a political move on President Trump's part, but
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, you got to figure a quarter of these kids are going to be voting in 2020. Maybe half. Yeah,
1: that's weird. Ooh, that's super weird to think about. That's so true.
2: Mhm. That's right. Time marches on, mm mm-hmm,
1: Mhm. That's true.
2: Well, you know what else marches on with time is of course the seasons and Noah The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have released their predictions about what to expect this winter. Good news for much of the Corn Belt, really all of the Corn Belt except for northern Indiana, Michigan, and northern Ohio. Are going to see average precipitation. Not expecting any big surprises on the moisture front. The surprise is coming on the temperature front. Much of the Corn Belt, particularly the Western Corn Belt, is expected to see warmer than average temperatures. Delaney, this has me pretty excited.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Warmer than average.
2: Yes. And there is a between 33 and 60% chance that the Western Corn Belt will be warmer than average, which is nice. I'll take it. It is
1: nice. Mm-hmm. I'll take it, too. It's a pretty nice day today, I have to admit.
2: It is. It's a decent day. I tell you what, though, Delaney, my day just got a little bit worse, actually. Oh, Why? Well, I'm up here, you know, helping the hamers get their corn <laughs> yeah. out. And, you know, the goal when you're harvesting corn is to get it out of the field. That's, yeah. that's sort of what shooting for here. But of course, I don't get to do this very often. And, uh, I, uh, made a mistake, dumped a load here 15, 20 minutes ago and apparently forgot to shut the door on the wagon.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not surprised. So, so there's a bunch of corn on the ground that, uh, I told Ted, if he tells me where the scoop shovels are, I'll, I'll get to work flipping it back into the wagon. I'm not looking forward to it. That I sounds be, good. Uh, that
1: sounds like a good job for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, Hammers, if you're listening, I'm sorry.
1: He's going to be listening. They're good yeah. li- they They usually listen.
2: I know. they're good, They're great people. I hope they're in a very forgiving mood.
1: Oh, I guess I should do a plug for myself. Ted, I am a much more capable and cautious worker than Mike if you need somebody else to take his place.
2: Okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you filled my spot in other places. so yeah. you're you're pretty experienced at it.
1: Yep, I sure am.
2: <laughs> well, let's see, Delaine. Do you have any other news for us, or should we jump into the market?
1: I do have one other quick update here on official damages from Hurricane Michael. The University of Georgia Extension now puts losses of cotton of the cotton crop at 550 to 600 million dollars. Um, and their initial estimates was somewhere between three to 600, but now it looks looking like it's on that upper end. Meanwhile, the Georgia Forestry Commission has lowered its estimate of timber damages. It was originally at $1 billion, and they've now lowered it to $374 million. So that's good news there for the timber industry.
2: Absolutely it is, Delaney. That is good news. I wish we had more good news in the markets today, but we don't. Do you want to give our listeners an update on uh, what the markets did for today, this, uh, what is it, Wednesday?
1: Yeah, Um, Well, for livestock producers, it's going to be some good news. Grain producers, not so good news, but we've got good news for you. We've got some great analysts that sponsor this podcast, the Zaner Group guys. They can help you during these turbulent times and help protect that bottom dollar, protect some risk that you may be laying out in the fields. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. All right, Mark, here let's start in... I guess we'll start in the grains. Not pretty across the board here. Starting in the December corn contract, down two cents today to end at 368 and a quarter, while the March cut two cents to end at 380 and a half. In the soybean pits, big, bigger losses today. November cut seven and a quarter cents to end at 850 and a quarter, while the January down seven and a half to wrap up the session at 863 and a half. December wheat, closed down nine and a half cents to close at 4 and a half while the March in the red nine and a half cents to close at 5 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock's pits here seeing some strength in the live cattle markets. The October contract up 50 cents at 113 and a half while the December up a dollar twenty to end at one eighteen thirty five. In the feeder cattle we're seeing some mixed Numbers here between front month and deferred the october down forty five cents to end at one fifty four sixty two and a half while the November up five cents to end at one fifty five ninety two and a half, looking over in the lean hog market, it was a limit up day with the December lean hog contract putting on three dollars a fifty seven fifty two and a half while the February also limit up at sixty four forty two and a half and rounding out the markets with the dairy. Class 3 milk futures, the October contract up 4 cents to end at 15.54, while the November down 19 cents to close at 14.91. That's where the markets ended for today. Now let's hear one last conversation from the Global Farmers Roundtable last week from the World Food Prize, kicking it off here to hear a discussion from Africa. Well, I'm very excited. We get to talk to a farmer today from Nigeria. Patience Koku. Patience, tell us a little bit about your operation in Nigeria.
0: Uh, okay, we grow corn. So we grow seed corn and regular grain. I'm um, under center pivot irrigation, so we have rain case pivots on our fields. And so that helps because we can grow two or more crops in a year.
2: So is it, are you just corn all the time?
0: Um, yeah, we did. We tried out some other things. We grow soybeans, but we have challenges with those seeds. So for now, we mm. stick with corn.
2: What kind of management pressure does that create? If if we're corn on corn for too long mm-hmm. up here, all of a sudden we've got disease and pest issues. Are you fighting the same same type um, of thing?
0: I would say sometimes yes. Okay. Yeah. So if you get um, some some seasons, yes. But we find that if we do, uh, we sometimes also put some cowpea in. Mm. Yeah, so towards the end of the corn season, you put a cowpea uh, crop, so it's basically still um, just one month or thereabout out. Yeah, so we do that sometimes, but we, we it's it, we, it's pretty much going okay so far.
1: Um Tell me a little bit about the corn variety that you're using, in your part of Nigeria.
0: Okay, we use uh, we have actually a variety of corn. It's hybrid. Mm-hmm. We don't have any GMO corn. So we grow corn uh, from different uh, companies. We would do uh, Monsanto, Naobea. We would do Seedco. We would do Pioneer. So it's a variety of companies. And
2: and what what's the marketing look like for corn in Nigeria? What is the market system? Are you hauling to an elevator? Do you store on the farm and ship directly? How does that work? Okay, so it depends. So most times we prefer to contract farms. So we, we
0: would be selling to... Someone at the end, that way you're kind of s- sure of you know even though you still have the price issues, right, yeah, you might sell lower and then the price will will peak at some point, yeah, so, but um otherwise, uh, we basically have short supply of of corn in okay. the country, so corn and soybeans and a lot of other things, so there's a lot of imports um to supplement the local demand so yeah, so we're more or less always sold out.
2: So, when I hear mm-hmm. always sold out, mm-hmm. when I hear we've got more demand than we can handle, mm-hmm. I tend to think high prices. Mm-hmm. Or prices?
0: Okay, so prices for us, um, that is an issue. Mm. Um, the price is, well, basically market dependent, but um, we have also the fact that we, we, all our inputs are imports. So if you if you so that's where you have a challenge if there's if if someone imports corn and can bring it in slightly cheaper than what you can produce then there's a problem because mm-hmm. you you now have uh, to to sell at a lower price you lose money uh, since all your inputs is import based.
1: Patience, I want to talk about GMOs and GM crops. I see mm-hmm. in your bio here it mm-hmm. says you're impatiently awaiting the mm-hmm. ability to grow GM crops. Mm-hmm. Give me your opinion on that and, and maybe share with us the background of what people in Nigeria and your part of Africa feel mm-hmm. about GM crops.
0: Okay, so there's this, um, this whole discussion about GMO which is only going on in the forest if you ask me. It's, mm. it's way above people's heads. It's not in the real society mm-hmm. per se. In the sense that Well, there's this whole. Europe is against. You know, we're we're colonized by Europe, Mm -hmm. so closer to Europe, and Europe has the no GMO, the anti GMOs, and there's a lot of anti GM um, groups from Europe who can put their information out there and people can hear it. So we have that whole discuss that, you know, is going on about GM is bad and so on, and the facts aren't being put out there to say, look. There is no scientific research that says GM is bad. And then we are on the other side of, 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 of the whole um, equation. We are importing GM crops. So we're buying from the US, buying from South America. And we, 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 we are basically just not telling ourselves the truth. Right. If you put yourself in a position, we're in a country where we basically can't feed ourselves. So we have a lot of food shortages. And the farmers put in a lot of work, but they don't have the tools. So if you don't have access to the right seed, you don't get a good harvest. So in a country where the, the national um, yields per hectare mm-hmm. is still somewhere around 2 tons of corn per hectare. Whereas, we went to a, a farm the other day that did 13.5 tons, 15 tons. Even in South Africa, farmers are getting 15 tons and, and above. Because
1: they're using GM. Because crops? they're
0: using GM. So I mean, and the, the farmers have huge challenges with weeds in Nigeria. So you're constantly battling with weeds. We have drought issues, climate changes. What uh, the, in some parts of the country we don't get so much rain. Some years the rain just cuts off, starts late, and and, and cuts off early. So there are those issues as well. And then more recently. We got the, the 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 biggest challenge that we faced so far which yeah. is the fall army worms. Oh. Yeah, so um, which came from South America and flew all the way to Africa. Mm. And and so um with with those, I mean when we first got them we were we were all over the place trying to find what the solution is. Yeah. They say stem borers is and we sprayed basically all kinds of of um, pesticides and it didn't work. Eventually We found some controls, but you have to spray. Literally, what we plan in a season is to be able to spray 10 times.
2: Holy cow.
1: So, okay, so our GM crops just widely not accepted by consumers in Africa or are they illegal to plant GM crops? No
0: in Nigeria for instance we have a biosafety law that recently passed okay. that allows us to be able to grow GM in the country so okay. we recently um, uh, commercialized BT cotton mm-hmm. so it's it's for us I think it's basically it's just a, a qu- question of time Okay. so the the companies who have the technology can bring it, there's an enabling environment and I mean, these, te- these well, transporting these you know, technologies you know, cost money, you know, setting you know, it up you know, and so on. But we're hoping yeah, that they can really move right. fast now that we have there's these pressing challenges. Really but then there's some guess. work that's been yeah, done yeah, already yeah. by some, some companies. Right. There's a project where they're working on the Wema right. Maze, a water-efficient maze for Africa. So that's okay. funded by USAID Gates Foundation okay. and Mons- Monsanto, now Bayer, and uh, donated the genes royalty-free to okay. the project. So that is available in about five African countries, and we're hoping it can come to Nigeria soon. And
2: it is basically just a, a highly drought-tolerant... Drought-tolerant
0: um, uh, and pest-resistant. Okay, so it would so solve So it will solve drought or... issues in Kenya. Wow. It would solve armyworm issues all across Africa. Is the
2: army worm all across Africa now? Yeah,
0: most of Africa.
2: Wow. Yes. Now, when you think of when you think of your neighborhood, the area where you're farming, mm-hmm. you're on center pivots. I'm yes. guessing, and that surprised me when yes. I read that. Is that yes. fairly common?
0: Absolutely not. Okay. So I am like, people come out to our fields and they're thinking, no, this isn't right. This is not Nigeria. This isn't. So we're like, it. it I mean, we're 100 and over 180 million people more than probably 80% of those are farmers. Wow. And we, the, the entire farmland where I'm on is 1,880 hectares irrigated with center pivots. A government project that we could lease um, long-term leases. But so you see that that's just a very tiny fraction. Most people generally have to do the regular put a pump in the ground. Flood irrigate. Flood irrigate, irrigate. Ditch irrigate. Work for hours to irrigate the field. So we are blessed and we are definitely not the norm. We are okay. very far from it. Okay.
1: Patience, it also seems like maybe you're not the norm here I'm looking mm-hmm. at. Maybe <laughs> your your resume. And mm-hmm. you've got some impressive things mm-hmm. on the list that you've yes. done before this. Will you yes. walk us through some of that? Okay, yeah. So I was
0: in fashion. <laughs> so when I tell people, they're like, how on earth <laughs> did you go from fashion to... <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I respond by saying it was divine. I guess God planned it this way. Because if I had any idea, I was basically looking for a new business, and I thinking, and I just heard farming, and I got up and quickly ran with an entrepreneurial spirit and started farming, and invested a lot of money and lost a lot of money, and realized, my goodness, this is more work than I ever imagined in my entire <laughs> life. So I tell people that I have not worked this hard in the in the ten or so years I've farmed. If I probably were doing fashion for 50 years I wouldn't do that much work. <laughs> yeah, so
2: how long ago did you make the switch? When did you jump um, into well, farming?
0: It, almost 10 years, maybe about 9 plus years now we started out poultry farming.
2: Um Do you still have poultry? No, we okay. don't have
0: any more any poultry. We that was like it was a nightmare basically. So <laughs> yes. what,
2: what was the nightmare about it? I don't uh, like chickens on my by no, myself. No, I what, think what was your problem? I think that
0: the whole fact that um, we, we, we're we in a country where you start out farming and you really don't have the... I mean, I'll give you an example. For a lot of things that I do on my field, I go to Google and I do use extension material from universities uh-huh. yeah. in the US sure. as a guide. So we started out farming, ha- hired consultants who didn't have a clue, oh, wow. and then you know had the whole challenge. We don't have controlled environments. You get diseases, And chickens are pretty fragile, Mm -hmm. you know, hard to to raise. So, yeah, so we found that crop was a lot more, a lot (laughs) more straightforward. Yes,
1: a lot more straightforward. And it looks like you also traded
0: commodities. Yes, so we traded commodities probably up to about um, three years ago, thereabouts. So we were brokering transactions for ADM in Nigeria for companies who were buying um, to meet their shortfalls um soybean meal and so on uh, well that also i mean with the 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 value of our of our naira against the dollar took a huge huge downturn so we're somewhere like 350 yeah. to the dollar okay. and that jumped uh, when we were doing those transactions it was like 160. Oh. yeah so a lot of people lost money and it was basically um slowed down kind of and then I realized that um, going further into, because we we were looking at that as a possible way of of creating a partnership to say, look, if these companies exist and they have all these um, crushing facilities, they might want to come to Nigeria and Mm -hmm. invest. But you realize that, look, to put in an investment like that, you have to have a production that will support providing it. So we've been working towards improving our yields. And, and, and that kind of thing, yeah.
2: So now, with the commodities trading experience, yes. do you guys use the Chicago Board of Trade to hedge your corn production at all? Nope. So we currently
0: don't have any of those
2: available. Okay.
0: We, 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 we have a... Um, okay, so um, there's a company called um, Affex, which is our first, like, commodities... Um, major commodities trading, anything. So they haven't quite gotten there yet because they're also trying to get their their feet on the ground and get the whole uh, process going. But we don't have any of that being able to sell your forward trade or do any of the hedging. It's
2: all just cash
0: and and contracts. Yes, contracts based on market prices at the time. And you also,
1: um, Kim mentioned to us earlier that you've been watching... What's going on in the U.S. a lot? You've got a political science major. Yes. Sounds like you're very interested in what's going on
0: globally with trade right now. I I am. and I'm intrigued because, I mean, I think that I I was saying earlier at a breakfast meeting we went to with some women that I think that um, what is happening in the U.S. is very similar to Brexit. And I think that um, when, when the whole Brexit thing came up, and I was talking to a few people I know in the U.K., I think that the British probably just thought, oh, we're kicking out the foreigners. They didn't realize they were kicking themselves out, basically, because you wake up one day and you realize that I had a system that was working fine. Why did I need to rock the boats kind of thing? And it will affect me adversely. And coming to the U.S. trade war with China, I mean, I'm like, if you have farmers who are selling to China, you need to realize that, I mean... Nigeria is one country where you would say we have a huge trade deficit. Mm-hmm. We are importing basically everything down to toothpicks. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have this huge challenge, but you must realize that you have to find other ways to work around it. You if you if your farmers are selling to the to China and you come up and you say, "Oh, you know China, we this and China says, "Oh, we won't buy from you." You are at a disadvantage because now you, you look at other countries who aren't Keen to take the these things from you because they're also trying to export. Everyone wants to export, so yeah, I think it's it's something to think about again.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, think about again. again. I think is <laughs> that's been my argument from the start. It's, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get yeah. off on a tangent. Nobody wants to yeah. hear me talk again. Yeah. But, Patience, when you think about trading, international relationships, yeah. Nigeria imports, like you say, yeah. everything. Yeah. Trade is a huge part of, of every Nigerian's yeah. daily life. Yeah. What are some of the trade things that are happening internationally with Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Are you guys... I guess I'm just not all that familiar with mm-hmm. Nigeria's trade policies. You guys just trade with everybody, anybody, mainly yeah, we, the UK and yeah, the EU. Yeah, well,
0: well, currently, yeah, okay. we,
2: we we trade with
0: just about everybody and, and anybody. And I think that those are some of the things that I'd like to see change. Mm. That we'd have a more um, a, a focused trade. Uh, uh, I mean, policy. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you, if you say, which is one of the, the things that's going on in Nigeria, that you want to diversify the economy, because mm-hmm. we were basically very oil-based. Sure. And you say, okay, we want to get agriculture, which is currently contributing like 25% of the economy. You want to say, we want to boost the things that can help, mm-hmm. aside from oil. And you say, okay, but you can still import some corn then corn farmers have a challenge because they now have to compete. And we did that before with our textile industry. Mm. And the textile industry in Nigeria now is pretty much dead. So what happened is, now with the BT cotton, we're hoping we get a revolution. But you can imagine a country of over 150 million people. And we all wear clothes, Mm. right? And even though yesterday I was wearing a nice African print top and we all wear all these things but the base cotton that is used even for our local tie-dye is imports. Mm-hmm. you know so i think that that is not sustainable and i mean you you can't realistically say i want the naira to be 1 to 10 to the dollar if you aren't exporting commensurate to what you're doing so i think that we have to have a more focused policy and it's a, it, i mean there's the whole world trade Uh, free trade and everybody we have to trade Mm -hmm. but we have to have a balance which is I mean what I think the U.S. is trying to do with China but you have to realize also that you know you have to think it through and pick your battles basically I think they're fighting the wrong country.
1: Well this has been very interesting. Patience thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having
0: me. Thank you.
2: Well fantastic discussion Delaney I enjoy talking to people who are opinionated do you? Why, because you're okay. so opinionated? Well, no, I, this, those are the people that you can learn from. You know, I had no idea a whole lot of stuff there about African agriculture, particularly Nigeria's. And, you know, now I feel like I know a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it was, she uh, was very interesting and very insightful to talk to.
2: Absolutely. Well, folks, we will have another discussion tomorrow with an as yet unnamed guest. So stay tuned. And uh, Delaney, if listeners want to follow along, where can they get our other podcasts Absolutely. or other
1: episodes? That's right. They can head to agnewsdaily.com to listen to past episodes. They can also find us on Facebook and Twitter if they have suggestions for people we should be reaching out to or talking to on the podcast by searching for at Daily. With that, Mike, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.